Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 256 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast. I'm Robin Warner, and yes, the stars have aligned. I've got Harrison occupied, and I'm actually able to record a podcast with the man that some call the dude that owes me a bottle of gin, Chris Rose. Yeah, Chris. <laughs> yes, um, you did. I think, uh, owe me a bottle of gin. No, 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 no. I remember distinctly. I have the recording. It, and you said, if, if there's no replacement before the summer break, bottle of gin. And, uh, <laughs> it happened during the summer break. Woo! Oh, my friend, let's play the tape back. I think you'll find it was the end of the season. <laughs> no, it was the end of the first half oh, of the season, see? I'm... I'm with you. Two bottles of gin if it was by the summer break or before the, the, the restart after the summer break. I will buy you that bottle of gin and then I'm going to drink more than half of it to wash away my sorrows. So it's going to be like a 10 liter Jeroboam equivalent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a bottle of gin that you're going to receive, but you're going to receive it at the beginning of the day. And uh, we'll see how much is left. <laughs> All right, tell you what, I'll, I'll provide the tonic water, the ice, and uh, the lemon. Oh, wow. This is this is shaping up to be a win-win situation. Yes, there is news for us to talk about regarding Red Bull, but we will get to that soon. Um, today we are going to cover uh, both the German and the Hungarian Grand Prix, as well as... Um, Oh, I'm excuse me. I'm just all out of sorts here. Which were the 11th and 12th rounds of the Formula One Championship. It is... What day is it? It is Tuesday? No, it is Monday evening, August 12th. And here are the results of the Hungarian, of the German and Hungarian Grand Prix. Man, this is just going super smoothly. It's going to be no, no issues here. In Germany, it was Max Verstappen that won in the leading red ball. He was followed by Sebastian Vettel in the leading Ferrari. Daniel Kafiat was in third in the leading Toro Rosso Honda. Lance Stroll, yes, Lance Stroll in the leading racing point Honda was fourth. Carlos Sainz was fifth in the leading McLaren Renault. Sixth place went to Alexander Albon in the second Toro Rosso Honda. And uh, Romain Grosjean uh, was seventh. He was leading in the Haas Ferrari, followed by his teammate Kevin Magnussen in the second Haas Ferrari. Lewis Hamilton could do better, no better than ninth place in the anniversary of the 125 years of Mercedes Motorsport. He collected two points for his efforts in 10th place, in 10th place, scoring a point in 10th place. Robert Kubica in the leading Williams uh, Mercedes. He was followed by his teammate, George Russell, who managed 11th. This is Williams' best result of the season by far, and it was epic and wonderful, and we're very thankful. Kimi Raikkonen was 12th in the uh, leading Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari, followed by his teammate, Antonio Giovinazzi, in the second Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari. 14th place, Pierre Gasly in the Toro Rosso. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. They're in the Red Bull racing Honda. And from that point on, no one was technically classified. It was led by Valtteri Bottas in the Mercedes, Nico Hulkenberg in the Renault, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, Lando Norris in the McLaren Renault, Dan Ricciardo in the second Renault, and Sergio Perez in the second Racing Point Mercedes. In Hungary... Lewis Hamilton won in the leading Mercedes. He was followed by Max Verstappen in the racing Red Bull Racing Honda. Sebastian Vettel was third in the lean Ferrari, followed by his teammate Charles Leclerc in fourth. 
Carlos Sainz was fifth in the leading McLaren Renault. Sixth place was Pierre Gasly in the Toro Rosso. Oh, I'm sorry, in the Red Bull Racing Honda. Seventh went to Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo Racing Ferrari. Eighth place, Mercedes, uh, Valtteri Bottas in the second Mercedes. Ninth place, Lando Norris in the second McLaren Renault. Tenth place, Alexander Albon in the Red Bull Racing, oh, <laughs> in the Toro Rosso Honda. Eleventh place went to Sergio Perez in the lead racing point Mercedes. Twelfth place, Nico Hulkberg in the Renault. Thirteenth place, Kevin Magnussen in the Haas Ferrari, the lead Haas Ferrari. Fourteenth place with the second Renault, Dan Ricardo. Fifteenth place, Daniel Cafiat in the Scuderia Toro Rosso. 16th place, George Russell in the Williams. That's a little bit more familiar. 17th place, Lance Stroll in the second racing point, Mercedes. That's also a little bit more familiar. 18th place, Antonio Giovinazzi in the second Alfa Romeo. 19th place, Robert Kubica in the Williams Mercedes. And finishing last, Romain Grosjean in the second Haas Ferrari. Chris. There's a lot to talk about, and I don't have tons of time because the movie is only so long. What do you have to say? A um, couple of cracking races. Uh, Max is on fire. Um, stellar performances in both Grand Prix. Kept his cool. Very mature drive in Germany and uh, kept his head when all about were losing theirs and, and won quite comfortably. And then uh, put on a really well spectacular performance in Hungary to get his first pole position. And um, almost nicked it from Lewis, but uh, Lewis had just a little bit too much for him, but, but still a very fine second place. So he, he, is, um, he is really on song, and he's just killed his teammate's career. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's not fuss around with the race results too much just yet, because obviously uh, that's the thing to talk about. Um, it was announced, it was either yesterday, earlier today, maybe a couple days ago, um, Alexander Albon is moving up to the lead team. Alexander Albon, starting in Belgium, will be at the Red Bull Racing Honda team. And uh, Pierre Gasly will be taking a step back into the team he was at last year, back in the Toro Rosso, joining the other person that that happened to, Daniel Kafiat. So, um, yeah, what what do you have to say about all this, Chris? Well, I think Albon has had a good season so far for as a rookie, right? He's been there and thereabouts with his more illustrious teammate who's got plenty of Formula One experience. Um, and, you know, in both the German and Hungarian Grand Prix, he was embarrassing Gasly. He was, he was either ahead of him or overtaking him or generally outperforming him one way or another. And I think uh, the... The Red Bull top brass had enough. I mean, you've got to be you got to be finishing at least sixth in that second Red Bull. All things being equal, reliability and so on and so forth. And Gasly just wasn't getting it done. So why not roll the dice? Try someone else. So what do you think about it being Albon as opposed to Kafiat? Because there is definitely an obvious difference between it being Albon's rookie season versus Kafiat's history. But the other side of that is Kafiat does seem to be ultimately outperforming Alex Albon. And they gave Kafiat another chance to be in the car. It seems like there would be a reason for that. Do you see what I'm getting at? Well, isn't he 
a bit of a known quantity though. They they know what they're going to get from him. Uh, he was in a Red Bull before. He's he's driven quite a lot for STR as well. So they got a lot of data on him. Um, Albon's probably the the most unknown of the three potential drivers that they could put in the seat for next season. I mean, the bottom line is they're under some pressure, right? Max is doing a stellar job, but they're still behind Ferrari in the championship. If they really want to get up to second or, or compete with Mercedes for the championship next year, they've got to have two reliable, consistent drivers. They've got to find that guy. Maybe uh, by running Albon for the second half of the season, they'll find him or not. You know, it'll help them make their driver's line, uh, decision for 2020 much easier. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a double-edged sword for Albon in that sense because obviously it's a wonderful opportunity. Obviously, it's a better car, um, but yeah. the, the the pressure is going to be quite a bit higher. And you know, to the end that Daniel Kvyat is a bit of a known quantity, but just as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, he's got what two, three seasons on Albon for experience, including time the Red Bull, which means he's a known quantity, but also means He's matured, he's grown, he's experienced it, and he's got the opportunity to learn from his mistakes. And he's currently ninth in the championship with 27 points versus Alexander Albon, who's 15th with 16 points. So when it comes to just sheer performance, looking just at the numbers, Kafiat's ahead. And it seems like you might want to known quantities to a certain extent because realistically we're talking about an effective number two driver against Max at this point. Yeah, I don't think Horner and company want someone who can challenge Max. They just want someone who can bring the car home where it deserves to be, which is at sixth place or better. They, you know, I mean, uh, Gasly got, got beaten by, what, two, three midfield cars in uh, Hungary and just just wasn't performing at a high enough level. I mean, the only race he really did himself justice in was, was Silverstone. Did a good good job, uh, picked up the pieces when Vettel and, and Verstappen hit each other and came fourth. That's that's the expectation. Um, so if, if anyone could show a bit more consistency at achieving that level of performance, I think Red Bull will, will keep him for next, for next year. Albon's got nine races to prove it. The irony of everything you just said is that at Hungary, Pierre Gasly did exactly finish sixth. Um, the problem is, is that uh, Carlos Sainz and the Red Bull finished fifth. And I think that is more or less what you're driving at, is that um, other than extraneous circumstances, there's no reason why Pierre Gasly shouldn't be with the Mercedes and the Ferraris among the results. Exactly. He shouldn't be being beaten by a McLaren or a Renault or or an STR for that matter, right? So that's just unacceptable. Because the, the pace advantage of Red Bull over the rest of the, the, the grid, other than Ferrari and Mercedes, is at least half a second. At least. It's a quick car. Max wouldn't be winning in it otherwise, so... Yeah, no, you're right. That Honda engine's mega. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. I, you know... There is a part of me that would think the objective pragmatist would say, well, let's put Kafiat back in the car. Let's give him a second chance. But mm. maybe those wounds aren't quite healed yet and Kafiat needs more time. Or maybe the deal was, look, we'll put you back. We'll put you, we'll get you back into Formula One, but that's the end of it for us in terms of internal move, moves for Kafiat. Who knows? But, uh, well, he, he did shunt a lot when he was at Red Bull. I mean, I remember one U.S. Grand Prix, 
where he hit everything in sight several times. I remember the Russian Grand Prix where he hit Vettel like three times within two corners. Uh, that's what ended his, his Red Bull reign the first time. So uh, I, I think what we've learned is that I was very unlucky to have to buy you any beer. Really, I should have got, <laughs> I should have got beer and gin. It was such a safe oh bet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I was so re- – it was something just a bit over three-tenths. And I was like, oh, God, I should have said three-tenths. Um, but I guess I still would have been out at that point. But either way, yeah, there were a couple. I almost, almost had a second, uh, second uh, beer coming my way. Oh well, say la vie. You won. You won fair and square. We're going to celebrate your winning. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, there is more news before we get to the race results because I do want to get to the race results. But um, McLaren is going IndyCar racing. <laughs> good how exciting <laughs> now how much about this news do you know chris um well i know that they've they've teamed up with a reputable team this time uh, as opposed to trying to do it with a former force india boss which seems like a good move yes they're teaming up with uh schmidt peterson um and there is definitely a, a bit of controversy that uh, spurred up uh, right away, which was Schmidt-Peterson had a contract with Honda through 2020 that Schmidt-Peterson then requested and Honda granted to break. So the relationship between McLaren and uh, Honda is that dicey that even with a partnership, no dice. If it, McLaren is going to race a Chevrolet engine – uh, th- through Schmidt Peterson. So the sad news about it is that it's not real. It's not an increase in teams. It's a mashup of teams. So mm. the good news is, is it gives Schmidt Peterson a very, very stable footing to compete in IndyCar and maybe uh, with luck start edging closer towards uh, a, a more regular race winning team they are a race winning team but maybe a more constant threat of a race win and maybe nudge them closer to championship contenders so how many cars do they run right now and who are the drivers schmidt peterson well, uh, schmidt and peterson are the drivers I don't... <laughs> no <laughs> no uh, schmidt peterson is currently i'm pretty sure uh, you'll forgive me for this i'm actually not <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, a... <laughs> we plumbed his depths of IndyCar knowledge. Ah, uh, man, it's uh, it's sad. I'm also, I'm also uh, barely coherent. Uh, but... <laughs> Have you been drinking the gin? <laughs> no, 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 no. Y- you'll watch me drink it. Um, but no, it is, um, it is uh, James Hinchcliffe and oh. uh, and. Uh, and there's one other guy, and that's that's the one that is ah, oh, of course, of course, James Hinchcliffe, Marcus Erickson. And, okay, um, okay. So those are the t- now. So will James be- Hinchcliffe is almost certainly not going to be with the team next year because oh, really? Hinchcliffe is closely tied with Honda, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to change. And I don't think James so that- would be smart to allow that to change. So, so miraculously, that frees up a space for some Spanish chap who might want to be winning the Indy 500. It's been discussed. It has been discussed. I'm skeptical, to be honest. I don't know. I don't see. I don't see Alonso having the interest in IndyCar other than well, what, the Indy what, 500. What, what else has he got to win? I mean, what's he going to do? SCCA Class B. 
I mean, you know, there's only so many races uh, that you really want to that he really wants to win the Triple Crown, as he calls it. So, um, so that's the 500. So we might as well go and do a season of IndyCar to to get more acclimatized with the vehicles, the tracks, the competition, and do a proper effort rather than just turning up one race a season. Yeah, uh, it's it's not bad advice, Chris. I'm not arguing with that, but I just don't. Alonzo seems to have a smugness about it, and I do get a sense that he feels that IndyCar is beneath him, even in his even in his advancing years. So, I would advise him to have a get-out clause that if McLaren's like two seconds off the pace, that he gets to go back to the beach. Well, here's the thing: if McLaren jumps in and slows Schmidt Peterson down. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bad sign. I, I mean, this brings me back to uh, their disastrous run at the Indianapolis 500, where they're arguing, McLaren, uh, McLaren is, that, oh, it's harder than it looks. We had to design our own steering wheel. Like, and you've never done that before. You know, it, it's just, it was pretty pathetic excuses from my point of view. Yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, those are those are the two big uh, big news topics that happened since the German and Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, the German Grand Prix, if you allow me to go back to that. Oh please, it's too good a race to to, to just skirt over. Well, I, I'll tell you what the German Grand Prix was, in my opinion. The German Grand Prix was proof that uh, Formula One cars have too much grip, too much lateral grip. Because the rain took some of it away, and what epic, brilliant racing we had! I it was it was fantastic. It was fantastic, top to bottom, in terms of you know first through twentieth. It was just great racing, real efforts, people going off, people just barely saving it. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton absolutely went off a couple oh my of goodness. times, two times, yeah, yeah, um, and he was able to keep it going where uh, Botas was not. And, and Charles was not, yeah. Where Charles was not, yeah. And we had kind of a race of redemption for Va- Sebastian Vettel. That's All right. of that happened with lap times that were 15 seconds a lap slower than what they would have done in the dry, which is a lovely point to remind you that IndyCar was roughly 15 seconds slower than Formula <laughs> One around Circuit of the Americas. And the McLaren IndyCar was even slower than that. <laughs> the, the McLaren IndyCar sat in the garage without a steering wheel. So it was. It just had to be pushed along. But uh, I mean, that was that. I mean, if there was one overall takeaway from that, to me, that was proof that Formula One should take away some arrow. Um, Well, I think there were a few other factors, right, to why the race was so good. I mean, it was it was wet, dry, wet. You know, it was very hard to know what tires to run on, and people were trying to run on different tires at different yes, times. Yeah, and, and people were making different strategy decisions. That's true. Yeah, and that that always helps. And uh, people were picking the wrong tire too early, or the right tire too early, I should say. I think one of the funniest aspects was was Mercedes were taken down a peg or two. Uh, you know, they turned up celebrating the 125th anniversary of them racing cars, which was which was fine. The special paint job on the car and. Lots of flat caps and strange clothing worn. Um, and then they had an absolute shocker. I mean, 
Hamilton made more mistakes in one race than I can remember for a long time. Botas crashed when he had a golden opportunity to close up in the championship. And then the pit strategy was all wrong. The, the, the pit uh, stops were farcical. I think they almost got up to a minute on one of their pit stops. Well, uh, I, I, I'm actually pretty defensive of Mercedes for that one, but please continue. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a horror show for them. And as you mentioned, I mean, after poor old Seb's disastrous home Grand Prix last season, he comes roaring back uh, from, from last place on the grid to, to get second place. So, yeah, it was quite a change in fortune from 12 months prior. And we, we should, just to be fair, it was last played on the grid because of a turbo issue, not because of his qualifying performance. Oh, absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah, and... Yeah, I, I I agree with all of that. I, I'm not here to deny um, deny those points, but other than to me, I still think that there was a big factor in how much you saw the drivers working the cars um, to get to get the most out of them, and I think that that is something that is just so refreshing to see when. The cars so often don't do that. So I think the answer simply is to fit more sprinklers to racetracks and just run every race wet. <laughs> wet, dry, who knows? Some sort of artificial intelligence determines the best cadence of sprinkler action. That would be the Formula One way to handle. <laughs> we can have it. We can have it by... Uh... By, by fan vote, a little bit like Formula E. <laughs> yeah, Which right. sprinkler do you want to fire? Yes, who? exactly. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we can have random turtle shells thrown out and <laughs> banana peels <laughs> and all sorts of uh, just Mario Kart all the way. There you go. Um, I do, uh, I mean, there were some shocking, shocking performances and also some desperately sad ones. I mean, I was rooting for Nico Hulkenberg. But he crashed. And then, and then we had... Uh, I felt bad for Nico because, <laughs> yeah. really, the crash was so innocent. And he but deserves a podium. He's good enough driver to have got on the podium by now, you know? Completely agree. Yeah. So that was that was desperate. And then and then there were those of us who were wishing that Lance would actually get a podium, but couldn't quite hang on. So, uh, yeah, it was entertaining. I mean, what was Botas doing behind... Stroll. I mean, that was that was the weirdest part of the race. Everyone else was having no trouble st- sauntering past Stroll, and Botas got stuck until he binned it. It's like what? Just well, bizarre. And that's that's another point that um, <clears throat> we'll interject from the race coverage again. Botas's contract is up, and frankly, it's not looking great for him. The way oh, I can just- feel another wager coming on. No. No, 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 no. Uh, I, you've already cheated me out of one bottle, so <laughs> Lord knows how you'll change the rules on me. Double or nothing. Come on. <laughs> no, uh, well, I, I'll be curious which wager you want to take, though, because um, to me, after the performances in uh, in Germany and Hungary, before it was like, Botas doing a great job, really appreciate his tenacity. You know, not, let's not forget his win from Paul in Australia. Now... The most recent quote I saw from Total Wolf was, if we don't go with Botas, I'll help him get a job somewhere else. And it's like, well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> that's not good to hear from your team. It's not a really team. endorsement from your no. boss, is it? Um, I, I think they'll keep him. I think he'll have another year. I don't think it'll be more than a one-year contract, uh, but I, I don't think they're going to roll the dice and put Ocon in the car because because of two reasons. One, 
there's no guarantee Ocon will do any better against Lewis than Valtteri is doing. Um, and, he, you know, it could go any which way. Uh, it could go like Gasly, where all of a sudden he's, he's nowhere and, and now Mercedes are losing the constructors because of that. Or it could go like Charles and, and Seb and Ocon could come in and, and uh, do a Nico Rosberg and upset the apple cart and destabilise the team that way. I, I think... With Valtteri, they got a safe pair of hands. He'll he'll score enough points to to solidly allow them to win the constructors' title. He'll get the odd win. He's been quick in qualifying. I mean, I think they're still pretty even in qualifying terms, right? Him and Lewis. I mean, that's no mean feat. And uh, he's got to cut out the stupid errors in the races. Um, but I think they'll keep him. Yeah, I mean, just I I don't I don't think it's fair to call them stupid errors. I mean. You know, it was soaking wet in Germany, and yeah, it was very unfortunate that it was behind Lance Stroll that it happened. But, you know, he he caught with a little bit of lateral load and then a little bit of throttle. He hit the gas at just the wrong place and got super unlucky, in my opinion. Okay, I, I'll give you that because a lot of people went off. But in Hungary, okay, so he locks up going into turn one. So he, okay, that's easily done. So we go into turn two. Uh, Lewis has got the run on him, goes around the outside. Lewis has won the corner because he then has the inside line for turn three. For some reason, Valtteri is still trying to hang out with him. And he loses, he then has to pull out at, at the last minute, loses momentum, which allows Leclerc a run on him. Why didn't he just concede the corner earlier? He would have been in a happy third place. Job done. There's his podium. Yeah. Instead, he's faffing around and gets his front wing knocked off by Charles. And kills his race. Yeah. That was the stupid error I was really referring to. Yeah. No, totally fair. But, uh, yeah, right. So we're skipping ahead. We're jumping around a little bit. Uh, and this is a good point, moment to apologize that the podcast is coming as late as it is. Happy summer break to everybody. Um, but I want to go back to the German Grand Prix and just get a real quick flavor. I, I think that... Oh, and that was another thing. So uh, the Mercedes were celebrating 125 years of being in motorsport. That was the anniversary, which is a pretty incredible anniversary. And it was almost 125 years to the day because the very first competition that Mercedes was in was the very first official competition that existed. It was July 22nd, 1894. And it was a competition of horses' carriages from Paris to Rodin, Rudin, something like that. And it was a 70-plus mile journey. And two of the cars competing had the same engine design from Gottlieb Dahmer. Those two engines, one was in a Panhard and Lasser, and the other one was in a Peugeot. Those cars ended up tying and and tying for first place the way this worked it was not it was it was judges deeming winners kind of like gymnastics as opposed to whoever crossed the line first won and uh, <laughs> yeah chris if you're at all interested i wrote a big story on mercedes 125 years of competition and um i did post it on the fun with cars facebook page and um, I will absolutely uh, share the link in the show notes and uh, show you all about it. As you can imagine, uh, my uh, my history of Mercedes Motorsport 
is heavily covers Formula One and not some of the other racing they've done, like Paris Dakar and rallies and, and other road racing, DTM, all that. But this was the right time to celebrate 125 years, and they thought they did it in a nice way. But Toto Wolff himself said that, uh, you know, maybe that took their mind off the right target, and maybe that played a role in why they had such a hard time. Personally, I think they just had bum luck, largely, because that almost that virtual one-minute pit stop you discussed, that was where Lewis Lewis had a s- spun right before pit entrance and made the decision to come straight into the pits, and he barely made it. He almost knocked over the orange pit entrance cone to come in. So there was no time for Mercedes to, pr- to prepare. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't an engineer on the radio saying, okay, pit in two laps, okay, pit next lap, okay, box, box, box. We didn't get that. Lewis was like, oh, I spun, I damaged the car, and came in right away. So they had to scramble for parts as Lewis was coming in. And I honestly thought they did a pretty reasonable job considering the circumstances. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a nose cone always takes 20-odd seconds to replace, right? So, but they that seemed to be heavy weather for them in Germany and in Hungary, actually. And uh, But then they had a mix of soft compound tires and inters and some of Botas's tires and some of Lewis's tires, and that's where it all got, got worse. But no, that wasn't the biggest mistake the team made. The biggest mistake was leaving Lewis out during, you know, the, the numerous safety car periods that subsequently occurred. Yeah. It allowed him to, to take his five-second penalty at a fraction of, of, of the penalty on track and uh, and and be on, on newer tyres at the right time. So he could have maybe got, you know, sixth or seventh instead of a ninth. So that was, you know, they just they just made a series of bad errors. I mean, the thing that I picked up on in the race was, I don't know where they had the microphones placed, but you could hear people cheering every time the Mercedes went off. The German, the, the German crowd were not behind the, the, the Mercedes drivers at Isn't all. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, I think we should move on to Hungary, unless yeah. you've got. Nope, I mean, I will fair. say I was delighted that Williams scored a point, although uh, I was uh, I was reading that someone was particularly frustrated that they didn't gamble more to try and do a Lance Stroll type uh, maneuver to get further up the field. They were still very conservative in their, in their tire strategy, but Hey, they snuck a point. So thank goodness for that. Yeah. Why would anyone No, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, they're, they're in such a weak place and they're trying to rebuild from rubble. You got to give them, you got to, you know, you got to understand why they'd be conservative and why they'd be trying to play it safe. Cause if they, if they screwed up a chance to score a point, which is a higher probability for Williams to screw it up than Mercedes or Red Bull, everyone would have said, what are you doing? You could have gotten a point and you screwed it up. Well, they didn't actually finish at the points, though, did they? Because the uh, Alfa Romeos got DQ'd. Was the only reason why they got a point? Let's not, so... let's not bring those things. Let's not talk about that part. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's okay. just be happy for Williams. All right. Well, carrying on that theme then, I mean, I think there was genuine signs of life in Hungary. I mean, Russell qualified 16th. Uh, he out-qualified, you know, some of his, uh, some of the middle order on merit without them getting grid penalties, things like that, and uh, was very close to getting to Q2. So that that was promising signs, considering they've been a couple of seconds off the midfield at certain races. Yeah. That, that is definitely promising. Totally agree. 
and Hungary as a race, you're talking about Mercedes being conservative, Mercedes uh, not having great pit stops, and yet what they pulled off at Hungary was brilliant. Yeah, it's like Michael Schumacher back in the pomp of the yeah. Ferrari days, yep, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was it was great racing by both of them. I mean, it was it's not the easiest track to pass on. Lewis had a crack uh, on his once he changed onto the hard compound tires, couldn't quite get it done. What was it? Turn four, I think he was, he tried to go around the outside of Max and yeah, ended up yep, yep. running wide. Um, and it, you know, they as someone's pointed out, they they really snookered. That's an English term, sorry. Cornered Red Bull because they got <laughs> they, they got how him in. How do you a, get how do you get snookered out of cornered? <laughs> so you know the game snooker, though, right? No, it's it's like pool on a bigger table. It's like uh-huh. pool pool for men. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, but uh, don't you guys call it billiards over there? Because it's uh, got to be more complicated for some reason. We call it pool and billiards, but yeah, snooker is like a very large table, uh, and you have to make breaks. So you have to do pot of red and then a color and alternate. You can get a break, uh, a maximum score one forty seven. Anyway, um, we, we, I digress. But you can basically snooker someone by putting the cue ball behind. Well, you can in pool, can't you? Behind, um, you know, in a certain position where they have nothing open to them. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and so um yeah, I mean when Lewis decided to pit again for the soft tires, if they pitted Max on the next lap, he would have come out behind Lewis anyway. So their best their best chance to hold on to the win was to keep going, but obviously his tires were were dying and Lewis was flying. So it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool race. It was that was the best 20 laps with no passing that I'd seen in Formula One in a long time. It was genuine strategy tension that I absolutely adored that was taking place. It was real. It was a real engineer's delight that that was going on. And I was so happy for it. I mean, I was genuinely edge of my seat seeing how the lap times were taking off. And then there were a couple of laps where, uh, Verstappen stepped it up or Lewis had a bob and you're like, oh man, maybe he's not going to make it. But it, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a brilliant and uncharacteristic move by Mercedes to make that. And ultimately you can look at it with hindsight and be like, well, they had the, basically they had a free stop and had because Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton were so far ahead of Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc. But you can also see just from the previous race, how quickly a pit stop can go wrong in the most innocuous of ways. And there were several pit stops at Hungary that took an extra few seconds because a wheel was stubborn to bolt on again or whatever. And yeah. and uh, and they went for it anyway. And uh, it paid off and it was brilliant. Yeah, Hungary, you, we used to have some exceptionally dull races in Hungary, but now they're, they're usually pretty lively. It's great. I think the DRS has made all the difference. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But um, but yeah, it was, the Ferraris were a long way off the pace, weren't they? I mean, that was the. I mean, it was just the Max and Lewis show because everybody else was in a different field entirely. Do you think that it's that Ferrari has fallen off, or that Adrian Newey got clever with a couple of bits and has nudged the Red Bull forward, or do you think that maybe Honda is narrowing the power gap? <laughs> I'll bet you a bottle of gin. Let's do this. I'll bet you a bottle of gin. So it's obviously not the, the, the third one of your options. 
<laughs> but uh, but can't, no, can't I mean, give them any credit. I think that circuit suits suits Red Bull, right? It's uh, relatively low speed. They were good at they were quick in Monaco, um, and it was warm, so it suits their car and it suits Max's uh, driving characteristics. So Ferrari just seemed to, they, I mean, they're really struggling to get the tires to work, and and that that track just highlighted that 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 weakness they had in the chassis. So. Uh, a little private battle between Charles and Seb, which Seb surprisingly came out on top of, actually. Yep, yep, yep. I, I, I genuinely believe that, and you kind of, you kind of hinted at this earlier, and I was. It's funny because we have not spoken about it, but I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, Germany last year was really the beginning of just a real bad run for Sebastian Vettel, in terms of mistakes and performance flops, and just clear signs that he couldn't take the pressure. Germany comes around, and sure enough, he's starting dead last, foul mixed conditions, and he stepped up, and he was rewarded for it with a brilliant second-place finish. And I feel like that really healed some of the wounds that he's been wrestling with, and he's been he's been a bit uh, more on the nose and just more staying uh, underneath the car and making good sound decisions. I feel like there's signs that... Uh, you know, Vettel might be stronger again in the second half of the season. Mm, but if the car's not... Been... <laughs> I mean, I, 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 mean, I you, actually... You uh, don't want to go that far. Huh? I, I, well, no, I, I agree. A little bit like Williams is signed to life there. But I think, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you if you find your form again when your car's uncompetitive. You need to, you know, because the, the question will always remain, well, once it's right at the sharp end, will he crack again, you know, fighting Lewis or Max at the end of the day, he's got to rediscover his mojo properly and, and hope that Ferrari deliver a competitive car before he retires. I mean, it's, uh, that, yeah, it's good to see him on an upswing. Cause I genuinely feared that he would leave the sport the way he was going. And hopefully if he, if he races a bit better, that might convince him to hang around. But yeah, no, I hear that, uh, Ferrari's talking very closely with Pierre Gasly. So, <laughs> oh, good result. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was wondering the same thing. And, you know, Vettel is, what, at least four or five years Lewis Hamilton's junior. Talking about him retiring seems a bit odd when we're not really talking about Lewis retiring yet. I, You know, I think Lewis is still at least a couple seasons away from retirement. Yeah. And you'd think that Vettel should be at least a couple seasons more than that. So... But I think he he's also one of those tricky situations where when you've won four times the world championship, do you really want to keep knocking around for uh, for the scraps off Lewis's or Max's plate? I don't think he would. I think he's too proud a man to do that. I think he'll quit before he just hangs around at the back of the the midfield. What uh, you know, going into the summer break, what were your biggest takeaways from the first half of the season? Uh, well, it looks like we're going to have a six-time world champion in, in the form of Lewis Hamilton. And I think Mercedes is going to well, is it equal or break Ferrari's record for the most number of consecutive championships. I, I forget now. But, uh, break, uh, break. This would be six break. in a row. Yeah, so I think that's barring any major mechanical problems. Well, wait, hold on. You're talking about constructors, though? Yeah, I think yeah. Because so I gonna... think because they won two two thousand through two thousand and four, but I think they also won constructors in ninety nine. Okay. So, so maybe so maybe it would be time if in yeah. that case. 
So I don't see I don't see um, any change there really. But I, the question is how how far can can Red Bull really go? A couple of big tests coming up: uh, Spa and Monza. Can they really be competitive? That's where we'll find out if the Honda's really all it's cracked, all you crack it up to be. <laughs> well, Monza, absolutely. I mean, Monza is a horsepower track if there ever was one. And, um, you know, Spa, Spa is definitely high speed, certainly. But Spa, you do benefit quite a bit from aerodynamic cleverness in Spa, much more so than Monza. Monza yeah. is about trimming the car out as much as possible. So the expectation is Ferrari should be competitive with the, with their engine, with their power unit. They should be competitive in both tracks. So so will they take advantage and actually get, get on the win board for 2019? I think... And if they do, that might give them some momentum for the rest of the season. Maybe Max's run will peter out, and then we'll uh, we'll see how many more wins Lewis can chalk up. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. Within ten of Michael now, eighty-one wins. It's it's pretty crazy to think Shocking. about that. Yeah. yeah. And to that end, it is Lewis Hamilton leading the drivers' championship by sixty-two points. Over his teammate Valtteri Bottas, that's 250 versus 188. Only seven points behind. Max Verstappen is in third. Fourth place is Fashion Vettel with 156. Charles Leclerc is eight, nope, 24 points behind that with 132. Pierre Gasly is sixth with 63 points. And something tells me that that number is not going to climb, climb quite so quickly. From there on, seventh place is uh, Carlos Sainz, who's had a good last couple of races have been quite strong for him. Um, you know, fifth place in Hungary. So very good. He's got 58 points in seventh. Kimi Raikkonen is in eighth with 31. And we'll go to 10th. Daniel Kafiat is ninth with 27. And Lando Norris in the other McLaren is 10th with 24. And if you move on to uh, the Constructors' Championship, well, it's just so lopsided. It's insane. Mercedes has 438 points, 150 points ahead of second place Ferrari with 288. Uh, Red Bull Racing Honda is fourth, a third with 244. And then another huge drop uh, to fourth place, McLaren Renault with 82. And then we get uh, Toro Rosso in fifth, Renault sixth, Alfa Romeo seventh, Racing Point eighth, Haas Ferrari ninth, and Williams tenth place. But they're at least not goose egging it. They have a point. So that is something. Um, but uh, yeah, and we talked, you know, IndyCars continue to impress me. It's been, it's been a lot of great racing in IndyCar. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see how, and what kind of influence McLaren has in IndyCar next year. I'm quite interested in that. Ooh, and more IndyCar news. Starting in 2021, IndyCar is also going to have a hybrid system. What's different about IndyCar hybrid versus Formula One hybrid is IndyCar hybrid is effectively going to be only for push to pass. The IndyCar hybrid system will give a bigger engine boost, a bigger horsepower boost when you press push to pass than it has before. I think it's currently like 75 horsepower. I think the number they're actually looking for is close to 200 horsepower. So a real strong gain uh, when you have push to pass. So if you're smart and clever with your push to pass over somebody else, you could really, you could really have a genuine genuine advantage on the straightaways that could be compelling to watch coming up for the next races we have the belgian grand prix that's september 1st that's going to be the end of the summer break that's formula one indycar is going to be the abc supply 500 that's at pocono raceway in pennsylvania august 18th that's a few days away 
World Endurance Championship is also going to start September 1st. That is the four hours of Silverstone. And the next IMSA race, uh, sports cars here in the U.S., that's the Michelin GT Challenge at VIR. That's Virginia International Raceway, August 25th. And I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com, which, by the way, is a great place to email um, me that I can forward on to Chris Roche about all the ways he cheated to get that bottle of gin. Tweet <laughs> us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, I'm pretty sure the movie's not over yet. I somehow slipped this in. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. I'm coming, Harrison. Coming. Coming.